Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. All right, I'm going to start out this morning with a little crowd participation. I got a question for you. Uh, I'm wondering how many people in the room own some kind of Apple device, an iPhone, iPad, MacBook. All right, keep those hands up. Let's see, just one, all right. We got, I'd say about 90%. We're getting, that's pretty high up there. All right, how many people own at least two Apple devices in your household? Yeah, okay. Uh, We could keep going. Uh, How many people think you might have five Apple devices in your household. The families, definitely, right? The school is sending home iPads like they're candy. They're like, you want an iPad? Sure, take one, take one, take one. And we love it so much. All right, and I I saw somebody calling somebody out over here who doesn't have kids sending iPads home who may still have five or more. There are those people who exist who just can't help themselves. Um, There's a reason so many of us own at least one Apple device. Uh, it's par- in part, there, there's a number of reasons, but in part because their, their marketing company has done something pretty smart, pretty unique, and I think pretty amazing. Uh, they have done something different, unique from pretty much every other computer or computer type device uh, company out there. And just contrast that a little bit, I'll, I'll tell you generally what the other companies do. The other companies, when they want you to buy one of their computers or computer-type devices, they they start telling you about them, and they start with the what. They say, hey, we make really great computers. And then they tell us how. They say, you know, they're they're beautifully designed, they're simple to use, they're they're user-friendly. And then they simply say, hey, want to buy one? And by the looks of it, most of us with those other computer companies kind of go, Nah, we could take it or leave it. Apple, on the other hand, they do things differently. They start with the why. In everything they do, in, in the ways that they're trying to communicate their products to the world, Apple starts with the why. And their why is that they say, in everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. And then from the why, they move on to the how. They say the way we challenge the status quo is by making our products beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. And they kind of just throw away the what. And they say, you know, we just happen to make good computers. So remind me again, just quick show of hands, how many of us own an Apple product, at least one? You think they're onto something? Well, my sense is that we here in the church, not just Paoli Presbyterian Church, but the church universal, we could learn a thing or two from Apple. Because in in reality, more than we'd like to admit, we tend to function a little bit more like those other computer companies. By and large, churches have have gotten this idea that, that people will just start flooding in our doors, filling our seats, if we just find the right way to communicate the what. You know, we, we, we try to get it out there. Hey, we are a church. We exist. 
And if we're getting really creative, really excited, maybe we'll go on to the how. We'll say, oh, we've got these great worship services and, and Sunday school classrooms and, and, and mission teams and, and all this stuff. That, that's the how. And we say, hey, want to come? And for most people in our culture right now, the answer is the same as to that other computer company. Meh. They could take it or leave it. All throughout our country, churches are shrinking by the second. And it's not because people aren't interested in Jesus. There's actually quite a, a high interest in, in Jesus, in spirituality, and in connecting with God. People are interested in Jesus. They're just not that interested in the church. And it's kind of, again, speaking church universal, it's kind of our fault. People aren't interested in the church, I think, in part because we've forgotten our why. We hold so tightly to our what and to our how, but if you go across churches across America and you ask anybody, say, why do you do it? What difference does it make? Honestly, I think a lot of church members, their answer would be, I don't know. but I am very, very happy to say, I don't think that's true in this church. I don't think that's true of Paoli Presbyterian Church. We know why we exist. I'm gonna put some words to it that might sound a little different than how you'd phrase it, but I hope it resonates in your heart. I really think it will. We know why we exist. I stole a phrase from a theologian and, and philosopher, a guy named Dallas Willard, that says perfectly why Paoli Presbyterian Church exists. We exist because we believe there is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. That is our why. We believe that there is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. So the way we follow Jesus, our how, well, you've heard us say it a lot, our how is by ending relational poverty, by inviting anyone and everyone into transforming relationship with God through Jesus Christ and authentic relationship with one another. And we do that by offering Sunday school classes, small groups, worship, youth group, Sunday school, mission trips, all of that. That's our how. And our what is we're following Jesus together. That's what makes us a church, people who follow Jesus together. But we follow Jesus together because, back to the why, we follow Jesus together because we believe there is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. Now, I'm going to talk about that phrase a whole lot more, but I want to just give a little pause at the outset. Because in any gathering of any number of any people, a phrase like that could evoke some feelings. Some of you might be saying, preach, you're giving the, the Presbyterian, you know, amen, which is just, hmm. But you're feeling it in your heart, right? I know. But some of you, not so much. Again, in any group of any size, there's going to be people who are hurting. There's going to be people who are really, really suffering. And so when you hear this idea that there's no problem in human life that Jesus can't solve, you're going to be like, mm, what about mine? Not feeling that today. Not feeling like Jesus is solving my problems. What about the problems of the world? You see Afghanistan? We just 
remembered the 20th anniversary of 9-11, Jesus solving that problem. I just want to say, I get it. I've been there. I've had those questions. I've had those doubts. I've had those arguments with God. And while those feelings of just kind of like, I don't know, Jesus isn't solving my problems, those feelings are real. I know in the depth of my heart, they're not true. What is absolutely true is that there is no problem in human life that Jesus cannot solve, even if I don't feel it in any given moment. So even still, even still the suffering of my own life, the suffering of the world, I believe deep down in just the very just foundation of my being that following Jesus together is the most life-changing, world-shaping thing that any person can do. It is so important, so fundamental to everything that we do. We are actually going to be talking about it all year long. All year long. We are devoting this year to Jesus. So we're going to spend two weeks, this week and next, kind of setting it up, but then every series that follows, you're going to notice a pattern. You're going to notice some similarities because it's all going to be about Jesus. This year, we are following Jesus together because and you can see it up here now, so I want you to say it with me. We exist because we believe that there is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. We're following Jesus together. That's what we're talking about. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he wrote a letter to one of his churches. He was encouraging them, follow Jesus together. And we're going to read a portion of that letter here together. Um, <clears throat> and actually, this week and next, and then in the series to come right after that, we're going to be using the message version of the Bible. Some of you may remember we used that when we did the Apostles' Creed series last winter. Many of you got copies for that series. I bought and ordered and had shipped copies to be here today, and Amazon is delivering them tomorrow. So that's helpful. <laughs> um, so I want to encourage you. Uh, we really believe that reading scripture is one of those transformative things we do to connect ourselves to follow Jesus. And so I want you to have your own copy. So if you have a copy of the message, start bringing it with you to church. Have it with you when you're watching online. Uh, if you don't have one, we will have them next week. And you can also find it on your phone. Uh, I won't judge you if you're looking at your phone during this, the sermon. I'm going to assume that you are digging deep into the scripture. Uh, but on that Bible app, you can get the message version there as well. And then you always have your Bible with you. So however you do it, I just want to encourage you, be reading your Bible together. It's a good thing. And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 14 in the message version of scripture. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, because of our why, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. 
The old life is gone. A new life emerges. Look at it. All of this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with one another. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering a forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. Now we're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. So friends, we are following Jesus together this year. And next week, we're going to talk about that together part. It's really, really important. Nobody follows Jesus by themselves. But today, we're going to focus in on that following Jesus piece. What difference it makes when a person makes that choice to follow him. Because again, you're going to hear me say it a lot today until you get sick of it. There is no problem in human life that cannot be solved by following Jesus. And I think we're all pretty aware. You know, all you got to do is get on Twitter, right? We're pretty aware of all the problems that are out there, right? Greed, sexual assault, fear, violence, injustice, divorce, racism, neglect, bitterness, death, pollution, rejection, suffering, apathy, addiction, grief, war, hunger, hatred, just to name a few, right? There are a lot of human problems out there, human problems that, that we keep trying to solve by human means. You know, we, we try to solve them by technology, or, or we try to solve them by education. We try to solve them with our money. We even sometimes try to solve them with our religion. But that's part of the problem. Human problems will not be solved by human means. Human problems cannot be solved by human nature because, in fact, human nature, it's actually one of our biggest problems. See, Jesus knew this. Jesus taught this. Jesus knew that our greatest human problem is not technological, it's not educational, it's not financial or, or psychological. Our greatest human problem, the root and cause of every other human problem is our human tendency to separate ourselves from God, to isolate ourselves from each other, to try to go through this whole human life on our own. And to offer a solution to this problem, Jesus told a story, the story that most of us know very, very well. It's a story of a man who had two sons. You know that one? The younger son said to his father, Father, I want right now, give it to me. And he took it. Father gave him his share of the inheritance, and that son took off. He ran off, he spent it all, and he ended up with nothing. Nothing but a whole mess of human problems. Just to name a few, he had financial problems, right? He spent the money, and it all ran out. He had vocational problems. He didn't have a job, couldn't find one, no matter how hard he looked. He had relational problems. Oh, he'd made all these friends where things were good. When things turned bad, they're gone. 
Didn't even have a person who was willing to feed him pig slop. But as you know this story, as you look at it, you see, yes, he had all of these human problems, but the, all of them stem back to find their foundation, their cause in that first human problem, his, his tendency, his desire, his choice to go and do life on his own. So there he is, he's just sitting in his, his mess, all his human problems, and he starts to think, all right, I can find the solution to this, I can solve this. He thinks, okay, if I just go home, if I walk home, I'll, 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 I can't be a son anymore, I can't get back to that, but I, here's what I can do, I, I got it. I'll, I'll just ask my father, I'll say, I'll, I'll hire me back on as one of your paid staff, right? He says, if you, if you hire me back, you can pay me, I'll get food, I'll get money, uh, everything's good. He thinks he can solve his problem with human means. But what he doesn't know is what's waiting for him should he try to return. And I will guarantee you it would not have been a welcome home banner. Biblical scholar and Middle Eastern culture expert Kenneth Bailey points out that during this time, because uh, the culture at the time was so communal, one person's problems, one family's problems, that's everybody's problem. And this son, for disrespecting his family and his father the way that he had, that village would have, would have stood up to defend that father no matter what. And they actually had a ritual for this. Should any child disrespect their parent in that way, should they try to go out and, and do things on their own the way he did, should that child try to come back into town, that whole, the, all the residents of that town would come and line themselves up at the front at the entrance of the, the town so he could not make it back in. They would block him from getting to the father. And not only that, not only would they block him, but they had a ceremony they would perform. It was called the Kezazah and they would take clay pots. And as soon as he got anywhere near the town, that word kezezah, it means cut off. And when he got close, they would break the pot. And they would shout, kezezah, you are cut off. And from that moment on, no one, no one would have any contact with him. He was cut off. Some of us know what that feels like, to be cut off. Some of us might be feeling a little cut off today. Something happened in some relationship in your life, a family or friend that you're cut off. Something might be happening in yourself with your own health or emotional state that you feel cut off, not from, maybe also from the people around you, but maybe even from yourself. Maybe you've done something, maybe something's been done to you that just cuts you off. Maybe even some feel cut off from God. We know what that feels like. Our, we know what this brokenness feels like and we have no idea what we can do to put it back together. If that's you this morning, I think Jesus wants you to know, Jesus wants you to hear, to take it to the very, very depth of your soul. There is no pain too deep. 
There is no burden too heavy. There is no brokenness too complete. There is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. For our biggest, our deepest, our most painful problem of our human life is our kezezah, is our cut-offness from God. Because of our sin, because of my sin, because of your sin, because of the sin of all humankind, because of the ways that repeatedly, day after day, we say to our Father, give me what's mine. Because we try to go off and do life on our own, we find ourselves cut off from our creator. But though we may cut ourselves off from God, God has never, will never cut himself off from us. In Jesus Christ, God made a way for all hurts to be healed, all burdens to be lifted, all brokenness to be mended for everything and everyone who was cut off to be completely and totally restored. How, you ask? The Apostle Paul tells us. He says, God, in Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. God put the wrong on him. God put all our wrongs, all our human mess on himself. That's why in Jesus' story, in Jesus' story, that father ran he ran, he ran as fast as he could. It says, when the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and his heart pounding, he ran out to him and he embraced him and he kissed him. That father ran to keep his son from the Kezezah. He needed to beat those villagers to get to his son before they did. And he ran to him to rescue him, to embrace him, to restore him to full sonship. That father ran to that son, and our father runs to these sons, to these daughters, to protect us, to rescue us, to restore us. Listen, I truly believe with all my heart there is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. And following Jesus simply begins when you let your father run to you. And so as we close today, I'm going to ask something of you. Depending on where you are in your own journey of following Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do one of three things. I'm going to ask you either to consider, to commit, or to come alongside. First is consider. Some of you may be listening to this message, and as we said earlier, you may kind of, if we keep saying that phrase and you keep going, ah, you keep saying that, I do not think it means what you think it means. Is that, is that really true? Could that really be true? That following Jesus solves all these problems? You might have your doubts. And if that's you today, I would ask you simply to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider the impact it might make, it could make, if men and women of this world truly committed their lives to, lives to, to learning from him, to following him, 
to living for him, what difference might that make? So just consider Jesus. Ask your questions. Explore your doubts. Jesus can handle all of it. And you know what? There's no better time. There's no better place to do that. Stick with us through this year to just consider who this Jesus is and what it might be, mean to follow him. Some others of you, you've done that. You know, maybe some of you showed up today just with a little curiosity. You want to know a little bit more. Or some of you have been here for a long time. You know, you've gone to the worship services. You've gone to the, the adult ed. Maybe you've served on a mission trip. But as you've done it, you've kind of kept Jesus at arm's length. You know, he's nice. He's good. He's fine. Over there. Just keep him a little bit as a distance. However long you've been considering, if it's been a day or, or a long time, I want to invite you today to take the risk to commit, to allow Jesus to move from out there to in here. To say yes to following Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, to experience his grace, to know personally what it means, what it feels like to be transformed from the inside out by a Savior who deeply, deeply loves you. Commit to following Jesus. And finally, for those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, you're not done yet. You're not off the hook. For saying yes to Jesus is by no means a finish line. It is only the starting gun, and we have got a race to run. So for those of you who would consider yourselves followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you to come alongside. Come alongside people, a person who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't yet follow him. Come alongside them and aid them on their journey. Come alongside a person in pain. Come alongside situations of suffering. Come alongside organizations and, 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 and people who are doing the work of Jesus on the front lines, maybe even Cornerstone Christian Academy. Come alongside and be Jesus for somebody else. Because here's the thing. You know, we said a few times, a few times in this message, there is... No problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. Well, here's the secret. A lot of times, in a lot of circumstances, the way that Jesus solves those problems is through you and me, through people who have committed their lives to following Jesus, to loving Jesus, to serving Jesus, to being Jesus to inviting Jesus to say, in this place, in this circumstance, come and work through me. Come and speak through me. Come and be Jesus in me. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, your invitation is come alongside and be Jesus for somebody in need. At Paoli Presbyterian Church, we know why we exist we exist because we believe there is no problem in human life that following Jesus cannot solve. And we follow Jesus into solving those problems by ending relational poverty, inviting everyone into transforming relationship with God through Jesus Christ and authentic relationship with one another. And so we follow Jesus together. Want to come? Let's pray together. 
And as we pray, we're going to do something a little different starting today, this year, a little bit. I actually want to invite you to stand for prayer, if you're able. At home, you can do this as well. And I want to invite you to take your hands and place them in front of you, just open palms up in a posture of surrender and openness to the Holy Spirit. What we do with our bodies matters. It helps our hearts kind of connect to it sometimes. So if you're comfortable, just open your hands to be ready to listen and respond to God. And we do pray, Lord, for anyone in this room today or anyone who is watching online, listening to this podcast any day in the future, that we would be open to hear and receive your call on our lives be it to consider Jesus, to commit to Jesus, to come alongside someone who needs Jesus. May we be ready to respond however you call us and may you guide us, Jesus, into deeper, deeper faith that there is no human problem that following Jesus cannot solve even ours. And Lord, we want to partner with you in the ways that you are solving those problems. And so we are going to pray, specifically pray for our partners at Cornerstone Christian Academy. And so I want to invite Dave to come forward and lead us specifically in praying for them. Thank you, Becca. Um, friends, today I'm going to pray three petitions for our friends at Cornerstone as we seek to come alongside them. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, offer up some prayers on our behalf, and I'm going to conclude with the words, Lord, in your mercy. And when I say, Lord, in your mercy, I want all of you to say, hear our prayer. Can we try that? So I say, Lord, in your mercy, and you say, Hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Awesome. It's, it's only three words, so if it's really throwing you for a loop, you know, we might have a problem. Let's keep praying and coming alongside our friends at Cornerstone. Um, Lord God, we pray for the folks at Cornerstone for all their um, faculty for the teachers who show up early and stay late, um, for the love and care they show to all their students. We ask that you would bless them and empower them with your spirit. We especially pray for their fourth grade teacher, Carol Malone, as she recovers from knee surgery. Um, Lord, what a way to start the year. Um, please, God, give her um, the energy, the focus, the drive she needs to recover and to teach those students well, to love them well. Lord, in your mercy, hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord God, um, we pray for every student at Cornerstone, everyone precious, everyone priceless. God, we especially lift up to you this morning those who are facing obstacles at home of any kind, 
addiction or unemployment, divorce or neglect or abuse, whatever it may be, God. We ask, Lord, that you would lay your hand on those students in a special and powerful way. Make Cornerstone Academy a sacred and special place for them where they feel safe and loved. Where they become aware that there is a shepherd who watches over them. Lord, in your mercy, hear Hear our our prayer. prayer. And Lord God, we lift up to you everyone in the orbit of Cornerstone, families and teachers, volunteers and administrators, everyone who walks in that building. We pray, God, for their safety, that you would protect them from the coronavirus pandemic and from any other issues that may arise. And God, that we pray that that school would simply be a place of learning and safety. Lord, in your mercy, hear Hear our our prayer. prayer. Thank you. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.